Well, hey, friends. It's good to see you. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. You can feel free to go ahead and turn there now. And as, as you're turning there, I, I just kind of want to set the stage a little bit. Uh, I, we have dealt with, over the course of the last few months, some difficult topics. LGBTQ, we've talked about sexuality, we've talked about abortion, and a variety of other heavy topics. And all of that stuff is light compared to what we're going to deal with today. So strap in, buckle up, and get ready. And as we talk about this today, I, I just want you to know that I'm speaking from the office of pastor. I'm, I'm coming to you as your pastor today. And the reason why I want to make that really clear is that Kenny White struggles with this that we're going to talk about. Uh, this this topic, the subject, is very difficult. Uh, it is something that I would suggest all of us are going to struggle with. As we begin to look at this passage in just a little bit, I think you'll start to see that it's easy to get lost in the specifics of this passage. So what we're going to do is do an overview of this specific topic that we're going to be addressing first. We're going to do that we're going to walk through this overview so that we can be on the same page. Again, I want you to know that this was <laughs> this week has been hard for me dealing with this and preparing my heart and now I get to make it hard for you. So, uh, with that in mind, join me as we pray before we jump into the passage. Jesus, we love you, and we praise you. We thank you and ask that you would be exalted and lifted up. And Lord, as we walk through this together, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Uh, this, is, this is hard stuff. It's hard stuff because for all of us, we struggle with it. It's part of the human nature. But Lord, you've called us to yourself. And so I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand that in the midst of some very specific matters, I ask that you would help us to see some principles that are true in our lives and very frankly that we need to repent from. And so Lord, uh, we offer this time to you we ask that you would use it to help us to be calibrated to your will and your plan and that you would be exalted. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. As we go to Genesis chapter 16, uh, I, I want to remind you that in this, in this subject, we're, we have been looking at Abram through the eyes of experiencing God. Seven principles that kind of wash into the shore. Sometimes all at once, all seven principles we have to address. Other times one or two emerge and, and hit us where we're at. Specifically that God is at work. He is at work around us. He, he doesn't even need us to be at work. He's, he's at work. God also pursues. God pursues a loving relationship with us in a variety of ways, and at all times, God is pursuing those relationships. God invites us to walk with him, to work with him in his will and his plan. And God speaks to us through his word, 
through situations, through the church, through godly people, God speaks to us. Not just that, but God leads us, and God leads us to a specific place, and that place is a crossroads. That crossroads is a crisis moment of having to decide, will I walk in faith or will I walk in fear? What will it be? And then, as we choose him, we adjust our lives. We adjust our lives to his will, and then we experience God in those places. And so those are the seven principles that we've been using as we look at uh, the life of Abram and that we'll be using as we talk about our own lives. To get there today, though, I want to start with the subject that I've been hinting towards. And the subjects, uh, I'll use two, it's plural, is on the one hand, submission, and on the other hand, rebellion. So we're going to be talking about submission and rebellion today. And and it's a very tough subject because we're immersed in it. We're immersed in it from a couple of different perspectives. And and let me share those with you because we could have a mixed message. First of all, I want to say this. God's word is primary. We're we're going to obey God's word. That's the point. Secondly, as Protestants we have to understand where we came from. There was a time where a group of believers pushed back at the church, and they said, wait a minute, this is what the Word of God says, and we're going to be obedient to the Word of God verse some of the uh, mandates that are given that are extra-biblical. And a group formed to worship the Lord and to get the Word of God in their own language. And they were called Protestants. Protestant is rooted in the word protest. So, on the one hand, we're protesters, and that's a good thing. At least it can be. It can also be a bad thing. We have over 250 different denominations because we're pretty good at protesting. So we have to be honest with ourselves in that and say, on the one hand, we've, we've kind of inherited the spirituality that protests. It can be good and it can be bad. Additionally, we live in the United States of America. In 1776, there was a revolution. It started from what historians call a rebellion, and for good reasons. For 200 years of oppression, for 27 points that are brought out in the Declaration, good reasons, good reasons to push back. At the same time, We have to recognize that within our cultural DNA, we have a value in pushing back. Sometimes that can be good, and sometimes that can be bad. I share that to talk about this matter of submission. What does it mean to biblically submit? One of my greatest fears as a pastor is to do a funeral for somebody who said a prayer to receive Jesus, and never submitted to him. That is a great fear I have. And and so I come with a lot of humility, a lot of prayer today, saying, well, we got to be honest about this very issue. So let's talk about it. To submit. To submit means to put before and to obey. We're placing others in front of us. We're choosing to obey them. And so, as we talk about this, we also recognize that the Scripture gives us some specifics about who we should put in front of us and to whom we should obey. 
Now, we know that there are some specific institutions. For example, there is the church, there is family, and there, uh, there's government. So those are three institutions that we know God has ordained and has put in leadership in places that we have a responsibility as long as, as, long as it doesn't um, cause us to deny Jesus as our Savior, we have a responsibility to follow. But there are some other things, and I want to walk through those uh, and clarify those. By the way, if you have our app, you can follow along in the notes section, and these slides should be there for you. Otherwise, I want to encourage you to take pictures of some of these slides. They'll be helpful as we go through, and actually the next slide in particular will be very important as we end our time together. So let's look at this. <clears throat> we have a responsibility to submit to the following. Firstly, other Christians. Other Christians we put in front of ourselves and we choose to obey. Not just that, but civil governments. And uh, listen, uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to be blind to the elephant in the room uh, as, we, as we consider COVID and mandates and all of those things. Uh, the reality is, I don't really care where you are with that, except this. If you are saying, I will not do X or I will only do X, even if X would bring the glory to God, then we have a problem. That's where we've crossed the line. So, civil government, yes, we have a responsibility to obey. Parents, uh, my mom encouraged me to look this up. And so I did, and I don't see an age limit on this one. Again, she encouraged me to look that up. And there's no age limit. In other words, what I'm saying is we have a responsibility to submit to our parents, to put them in front of us, to obey. And I've, I've walked with, I don't think this is an exaggeration, hundreds of people who have said, okay, I want to honor my mom and dad, and I love my mom and dad, and Right now, their health is in a place where I have to make a tough decision. Do I bring them into my home or keep them in my home? Or do we help them find a place where they can, their needs can better be met? And that's a difficult position to be in. I recognize that. But in part, we get to that place because we have a responsibility to submit to love our parents. Scripture also identifies husbands, employers, and church leaders as uh, those who are in authority that we put in front of us and that we obey. And I recognize that as soon as I say these words, there's pushback. What if they're not godly? And I would say, you mean like Pontius Pilate, who never accepted the God of Israel, who never surrendered to that God, who never worshiped that God, who in some ways seems to insinuate a little bit of mocking towards Jesus himself. And yet, the God of heaven came down in the flesh and submitted to the, his authority, even to the point of giving his life on the cross. Yeah. So these are, these are difficult things. And I recognize people who are in these positions may not always be godly. They may not always be wise. And yet at the same time, we have to recognize that God has allowed them in positions of authority and in part, God is helping us to bend our will to his. 
in some ways break our will so that we'll surrender to his. And these are tough things that we're talking about today. Again, I want to share this as someone who has had to do funerals for someone who said a prayer and whose life was never impacted or changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be honest about it. So let's ask some questions. These questions are actually, let me, let me back up. Let's talk about rebellion because rebellion is going to be one of those things that, okay, if I'm not submitting, then I may be in rebellion. So let's talk about that briefly. Let's look at this. Again, this might be a, a, a great one for a picture if you're wanting to go back over it. What is rebellion? Rebellion is against, uh, a rebellion against authority is rebellion against God. You can see the scriptures associated with that, but it's an important piece to remember. If I am against authority, I'm against God. David displayed this, by the way, when Saul was against him and chasing him down. David had the opportunity to kill Saul and could have justified it. Life would have been way easier if he would have just killed him. But instead, David sees Saul as an authority and a person who was placed there by God and doesn't respond uh, the way that perhaps his flesh wanted to. Secondly, rebellion is sin personified in Satan. Let me say it this way. When we choose rebellion, we are choosing the way of Satan. That's the clear image in Scripture. When we choose rebellion, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, regardless of what anybody says, then we are, we are following the same path as the devil himself. Three, rebellion is comparable to witchcraft. Four summarizes kind of that concept as well. Rebellion is practice of evil people. Five, rebellion results in the loss of blessing from God. Friends, I want God's blessing. I do. I want you to have God's blessing. And I don't want you to not have God's blessing because I'm in rebellion. So there's a challenge for me. I also want to say there's a challenge for you. There may be others in your life who aren't receiving blessings if you're in rebellion. Be aware of that. Rebellion results in the loss of blessings from God. Rebellion also angers God. That's a side of, you're never going to win that fight. Rebellion results in death, ultimately. Rebellion ultimately results in death. So let's ask some questions. Let's look at this set of questions. There are eight questions that we'll just walk through that will help us to calibrate our hearts. Now, the answer to any one of these might not be an indicator of rebellion, but they may be. And what I'm asking is that we would be tendered to the Lord and say, is it possible that there's some rebellion in my heart? So let's look at these. First of all, an identifier is, do I check my potential decision with the word of God? So the decision that I'm about to make, it, does it line up with God's word and God's plan, specifically or in principle? That's where we have to start. As followers of Jesus, we have God's word here. We have to start with God's word. I'm about to make a decision. Uh, what does God have to say about it? And am I following that plan? Secondly, and this is a big one, am I willing to lie, deceive, or cheat to get what I want? 
Now, this comes out in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's, well, uh, I just didn't tell the whole truth. Yeah, that's, that's deceiving. It's, it's like lying. Um, why? Well, let's just play that out. Okay, so at work, I didn't tell my boss the whole story because I didn't want them to get mad. I didn't want that to come back on a review. I didn't want to miss out on a raise. Okay, uh, could it be that there's some rebellion there? Could it be? Do I mock or make fun of authority? This is a big one. And again, in our culture, this is, <laughs> this is so significant. I, whether you're watching uh, television and shows like uh, Saturday Night Live, who they've done this for over 40 years where they'll take leadership and just mock them. Or you're wa- going through TikTok and you see somebody who just, just vehemently is mocking people of authority. Uh, that's a problem. And let's call it what it is. That's sin. doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of things, whether you're progressive or conservative. But when we're mocking leadership, we're mocking the God who placed the leadership there. And that's sin. And that sin is rebellion, and it angers God, and he will withhold his blessings. Do I justify my behavior even when I know I'm wrong? That's a good, that's a good one. Well, yeah, I did that because when we start a sentence like that, there's probably some rebellion hidden underneath. Would others say that my heart is hard as it relates to the decision I'm making? I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you have to say. I've heard several parents say this. Uh, uh, oh, you're going to do what you want to do. Or you might as well do what you want to do. You're going to do it anyways. Right? Like, that, that's the point. Our hearts are hard to it. Do I prefer the echo chamber of agreement with my decisions? Do you know what I mean by echo chamber? Algorithms in social media are set up to play to what we want. So those algorithms, they, uh, your feeds uh, will show the things that you like to see. It's set up that way. It's called an echo chamber. That they're echoing back to us what we're saying. And we do this in our decision making as well. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go seek some godly counsel of people who will agree with me. <laughs> That's an echo chamber. Uh, I'm going to only ask the people who will agree with me. That's an echo chamber. Okay, let's keep going. Do I practice bad behavior even when I know it is bad or despite an authority telling me otherwise? Yeah, uh, I hear what you're saying, and I know you've been where I'm at or where I've been at, uh, but I don't care, and I'm going to do it anyways. And then lastly, do I have a disciplined lifestyle. This is a significant one in this respect. Uh, It's okay to be flexible. That's not what I'm saying. But would we characterize our lifestyle as disciplined? Because when we're undisciplined, oftentimes it's because something that I felt like doing more came up. That undisciplined lifestyle results often in rebellion. Not every time, It's a question to help us identify. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 16. As we go to Genesis chapter 16, we're going to hear a a story that will probably turn our stomachs. From a lot of perspectives uh, and from our cultural perspective, this is not going to feel good. And yet, we're going to see God 
minister to a person in this place in a way that is very significant and actually in a way that models Jesus himself, his surrender to authority. It's pretty amazing. Let's go ahead and go there. We're in Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1 is where we'll go. Keep in mind that we are looking at a passage removed by centuries, removed by culture, removed by language. We're looking into a situation that we can judge only from our cultural perspective. And as we do, this is not going to make a lot of sense. So bear with me. That's why I'm saying hang on to the principle of submission and rebellion. Uh, that's, the, that's a key piece to this. So let's go ahead and look at it now. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Pause there. In the ancient world, having children was a, a sign of a blessing from God. You had children because God had favor on you. And because God had favor on you, he blessed you that you could uh, procreate, that your line, people like you, would continue in the future, as opposed to it ending. So they saw having children as a blessing. So what do you think they saw as not having children? A curse. Consider that, because Abram is living under a 10-year-old ten, ten word from the Lord that is they're going to have children. That is they're going to have so many, the nations are going to come from them, kings are going to come from their line. And yet, 10 years into this, and there's no kid, not even one. So she had a female Egyptian servant. This word servant is a word that's used in a spectrum. It can mean, from our cultural perspective, like an employee. Could mean that. It can also mean slave. That's the word servant. That's what it means here. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to determine, even from the context, where this is in the spectrum. And you'll see that even in this passage. Whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. This sounds abhorrent. At the same time, let's keep in mind that uh, this is also an ancient practice. Keep in mind also uh, that the promise that God gave Abram seems in terms of the words that are used, very specific to Abram. Ten years into waiting, you could see how this woman, Sarai, is going, maybe I'm the one in the way. Maybe I've been looking at this all wrong. Hey, this isn't an uncommon practice in this region. Maybe one of my servants is going to be the surrogate in this situation. Maybe one of my servants will actually carry the seed of my husband who that promise is given to. Again, I recognize what it sounds like from our perspective, but we, we have to try to jump into uh, her situation. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. 
And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Again, we can project into this. Does she look at, uh, uh, at her mistress with contempt because she was given as a wife and didn't want to be? Could be. Is it that she has a child and now she's in a blessed position and Sarai still isn't? Could be. Uh, it could be a, 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 a mix, a blend of both of those things and more. Regardless, the text says that she looked at her with contempt. And this is the response. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when you saw that she had, or I'm sorry, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. So uh, Abram takes kind of the same uh, idea that, that Adam does and plays a little bit of a victim here and pushes it off. Instead of taking care of this woman, he just goes, eh, sounds like your problem. Well, she's under your authority. You deal with it. And totally sidesteps it. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, Hagar, and she fled from her. Now watch this. The angel of the Lord found her. Uh, many theologians believe that this is a Christophany. Uh, a Christophany is when Christ shows up, the pre-incarnate Christ shows up uh, uh, in the Old Testament. This, many theologians believe that this is God in the flesh, specifically Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, uh, as the angel of the Lord could be. Uh, there's, there's some signs that that might be the case in this passage, but let's consider that as we read this. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Did you, did you catch that? Look at the title that he, that he identifies her with, servant. This is a woman who has been given to uh, uh, an 86-year-old man, 85-year-old at this moment, uh, uh, 86, I'm sorry, year old man, and uh, has had a child with him. Maybe not of her own choosing. And the Lord refers to her as a servant, that spectrum of meaning, of Sarai. Where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. It could be that God knows something that we don't know. It could be that in the midst of calling Hagar to surrender, he's calling Hagar to allow the Spirit of God to work in her in a way that she could become hardened and callous to otherwise. I wonder. I wonder if that's true. And I think if we're being honest, we could see that in our own selves. And those places where we become hard to people who have wronged us, if we would back up and choose to serve, maybe God would work something different within us. Something that would look like the fruit of the Spirit. Something that would bear fruit that God would want to multiply. Let's keep looking. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. 
So there is a blessing in all of this. Uh, I want to go ahead and skip down uh, to verse 15. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Consider the situation. Consider the surrender that has to happen in this place. What I'd like to do is I'd look, like to look at those waves that roll in, those seven waves that I talked about earlier from experiencing God. And I'd like to identify a few of those uh, in each of them, and then we're going to take a little bit more time with, with Hagar at the end. But let's look at Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. And first of all, what do we see with Abram? You know, he's 75 years old when this starts. When he starts in Ur, this uh, land that is filled with idolatry. And in this land filled with idolatry, this God calls him out. And he responds in faith. But it's a God he doesn't know. And it's to a place he doesn't know. And he follows him. There's some meandering a little bit, right? I mean, we see this throughout the passages with Abram. Sometimes he's really great and follows the Lord. And other times he just misses it completely. And he's now 86. And he's still not where he needs to be. In Genesis 15, behold, you have given me no offspring, he's talking to the Lord, and a member of my household will be my heir. He's talking about a nephew, that maybe my nephew will be my heir. And God says, no, that's not it. Your very own son shall be your heir. God's at work around Abram. And God leads Abram, like God does for all of us, to an intersection, a crossroads, a place of crisis, Will I choose faith or will I choose fear? Will I submit myself to God and his plan or will I in rebellion do my own thing? And always we come to this place. And Abram did too. And in this case, in this situation, Abram messed up. Easy for me to say on this side of eternity, but the truth is I've been there. Not in that exact situation, but I've been in that place where I've chosen fear over faith where I've chosen rebellion over submission. And I suggest you probably have too. How about Sarai? What about her? She may not see herself in God's plan. Like, don't miss that part. It seems harsh that she would allow Hagar, her servant, to be married to her husband, suggest it, make it happen, and then to, uh, to have a child. It might sound harsh. It sounds kind of uh, gross, from our perspective, for sure. At the same time, she might not see this herself as part of the plan. In fact, she could identify that she's in the way of God's plan. Maybe God does want to multiply Abram's seed, and maybe I am in the way. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where uh, Abram turned me over to be married to the king of Egypt in Genesis chapter 12. And the promise that's given in 15 is more towards Abram than it has to do with Sarai. So you could see after years of trusting God where this might start to spiral a little bit, where she might deviate from God's plan a little bit. Perhaps we have too. God's at work around her. God invites her into his work and God leads her exactly where God leads her, and she adjusts. But she doesn't do it in a godly way. 
Her adjustment is not the way that it's supposed to go. And perhaps we've done that too. God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to follow you. And we do our best, and our best just comes up short for whatever reason. Maybe it's that we were walking in the flesh. Maybe it's that we didn't seek godly counsel. Maybe it's that we didn't surrender to authorities above us. But we thought we were doing the right thing, and we blew it. And there are consequences now. And that happens. And that certainly happened with Sarai. But look at Hagar. What do we know about her? She's a servant. An employee, maybe. A slave, maybe. Maybe somewhere in the middle. But she's a servant. She's honored by God in this place. And we'll talk about that as we go. Look, God is at work around her. God's doing something in the lives of those around her. But he's also pursuing her. And in this case, in a very real way, I mean, remember, they didn't have the scriptures like we have the scriptures available to them. And God shows up in a very physical way uh, in ways that perhaps uncommon today. But God pursues her. And God invites her to work with him. And God speaks to her. And God leads her. And he leads her to the exact same place that he leads all of us. Will I choose faith? Will I choose fear? Will I submit in obedience to God and allow others in front of me, or will I walk in rebellion? She chose faith. She chose to submit, and she adjusted her life, and she experienced God. And we see that same thing in Jesus the Christ, who is willing to come in the flesh, who is willing to be obedient to death on the cross. We're talking about God. You know, I I think sometimes we want to justify our own rebellion. I do. And I would suggest that all of us want to do that. That's why we're in rebellion. We justify it. And in that place of justification, we have to remember that God came in the flesh, that it was God who was willing to submit himself to the cross, that we could have life. He's not asking that of us. You and I won't die on a cross for the sins of mankind. But we might have to die on the cross of our flesh and allow others to be served in front of us. We may need to be obedient to those around us in ways that doesn't feel good or that we even like. But maybe it's in that place that God wants to do something. A breaking of our own will. Of a molding and shifting it into God's will. And it only is found in a place of submission. And I want to tell you that I've spent plenty of time in funerals where when I asked for the the story of salvation, the best someone could tell me is a prayer they said when they were 12 and they lived like hell ever since then. And there is no hope in that place. I don't want to go to hell And also, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that's from the evil one. That's exactly the the path that the devil showed. Friends, we have the reputation of Christ. We're the church, the body of Christ. And we're holding on to his reputation. And if we puff out our chests, and if we... Show how prideful we are. What do you think the world sees? But when we humble ourselves 
and surrender and submit to an amazing God who loves us deeply and cares for us and actually uses service to mold and shape us into his image, what do you think the world sees? This may be a time of repentance. I want to go back to the question slide. And I want to encourage you, before we go into a time of communion, to take a look at this slide, to consider some of these questions. Because, friends, if there's an ounce of rebellion in us, let's just get, let's repent of that. Let's get rid of that. Let's be obedient to the Lord. And when we get to that place of, of okay, I'm going to stand on this thing and I will not be moved, let's make sure that that's a biblical thing. Because if God is saying, I want to be glorified in this place where you surrender your will and let somebody who doesn't even know me be served, well, okay, God, if that will glorify you, let's do that. Let's do that. And let's watch and see what God will do. Friends, I've also stood at the front at funerals when I ask for a testimony and I hear stories of men like Lee Ray who... They said a prayer a long time ago, but they lived a life that was transformed by Jesus the Christ. And I can stand in front of people with joy and gladness knowing exactly where he is. And is that true for us? That's, that's the challenge today. As the worship team comes up and as we uh, go through those questions, let's prepare our hearts for communion. Communion is a connection with God. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is for the follower of Jesus and a reminder every time we go to communion to examine our hearts, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? And if there is, to confess it. And the beautiful thing is this, that God is willing to forgive it. That that's exactly why he came. And he came also to call us to himself to participate in the sacrificial life for his glory and so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son. I want to pray for you as we prepare our hearts. And just before I do, I want to remind you we have four stations in this room. At the end of a time of, of contemplation, perhaps, you are free to go to the section that's nearest you. If you go down the carpeted areas and uh, get both elements and return to your seat. At the end of this next worship song, uh, we'll participate together. But let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you, and we need you. And as we come before you today and we hear the story of, of Hagar, Lord, it's, it's amazing, and it's heartbreaking, and it's sad, and it's an amazing step of faith that this woman took to to, Lord, run away from those who are abusing her and yet be willing to follow you in obedience and return to those very same people to serve them. But Lord, that sounds a lot like you. That you were willing to come in the flesh and to serve those who would put you on the cross. To put others ahead of yourself. That we would know you and walk in you and receive the life that you've given us in your body and in your blood. We love you, Lord. Please receive now our heartfelt confession, sin that we've been holding on to and justifying. Lord, let us nail that to the cross and leave it there. 
as we participate in your life. In Jesus' name.